Thanksgiving Day is rapidly approaching. What is not rapidly approaching are family members gathering together to share in a wonderful home-cooked meal and the intimate fellowship of a big reunion at Grandma's house. Why is this year so different? Like it or not, we are, many of us, altering our plans so that we might enjoy many more Thanksgivings in our future. We are foregoing this gathering so we might have future reunions. We are not without thanks, though. There is still so much we might consider blessings even in a pandemic. There is, I think, a renewed sense of what is truly important in our lives. I am so impressed with those who have, even in the midst of crisis, found ways that they can give to others. Thanks for giving this Thanksgiving. This is nothing but grace. God loves you. Imagine what that feels like right now. Are you thankful that His grace is wrapped around you? My mission today is to remind all of us that there is, in the end, nothing but grace. I am Chuck McGathy, and I am the pastor of a loving, grace-affirming, and welcoming group of people. Our church is First Baptist of Madison, North Carolina. We are followers of Jesus. For us, he is not a mythological ideal. Jesus is real, and he is alive. We lean on him. Jesus is our teacher and example. We also believe that we still need to learn about being his followers. Together, we welcome you to come along with us and learn about the Jesus of the Bible, and then let him change your despair into hope. Everyone is welcome as family. We are all brothers and sisters on this journey to follow our Lord. First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina, is a community of faith that has a history and tradition that speaks of the love God has for all people and the respect and dignity we possess as His children. We consider you our brothers and sisters. Whenever you're with us, you are home. Now, you can learn more about our faith community, gain helps for your spiritual life, and even contribute to support the positive, life-changing message we present weekly. You can do any or all of that through our website. Now, this is all spelled out, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Nothing But Grace is a time for worship and Bible study that will inspire your hearts and give you good news. 
Together we are fellow travelers on life's highway. Today, I will be sharing with you my message entitled, Thanks for Giving. You will also be hearing Bible study on one of the Psalms taught by the Reverend Marsha McQueen. So stay tuned. God has a wonderful message for you today. Let's get into the mood of the season by listening to our choir sing Joseph M. Martin's All Good Gifts. This is the First Baptist Church Choir, directed by Miss Jane Scruggs and accompanied by Mrs. Sylvia Perkins.
The story of Jonah was told in an amusing way by Bud Abbott. He is, by the way, not the first or last to get a few of the details wrong about this important Bible story. The message of the biblical book of Jonah is at heart a powerful message about giving. This prophetic parable was an important message for Jesus, who used it to remind his hearers of the wideness of God's mercy and the hope found through the resurrection. Before I go much further, though, let's enjoy Bud Abbott and Luke Costello as they humorously butcher this classic biblical story. It's a fish story. How long will it take to tell it? A couple of seconds. The only thing is, you ain't got nothing to say in it. You might as well get a chair and sit down because you don't open your mouth once through the whole thing. But it's funny. Very cute. And you wrote it. Yeah, but you keep your mouth shut. You don't get, you no. got nothing to say. Well, I don't have to say anything as long as you wrote it. It's about a whale, a ship, and Jonah. And it's funny. Yeah. And you wrote it. Yeah, now don't talk no more. Well, go ahead. Let's hear it. Let's now hear it. Now don't say another word. No. As long okay. as it's funny. It's funny! And it's brand new. Now keep your mouth shut. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Once upon a time, there was a whale. What kind of a whale? <laughs> you see, that's what I mean. You got to keep your mouth shut. You ain't got oh. nothing to say in this. Well, all right, no, it's not. You a don't point. have to ask me what kind of whale is because I don't know what kind of whale it was. All right, let's forget about. How do I know what kind of whale it is? Don't oh, shout now. What do you think I do? Belong to whale, guy, or something? I don't know whales. I a whale. All right. Sh- I asked you to keep your mouth shut tonight. Go ahead. Well, give a shot. Now this whale was in the ocean. What ocean? This ocean. What ocean? I think the folks would like to know where this took place, don't you think? Go ahead, pick out an ocean, what I care. That's immaterial to me. All right, immaterial ocean. Oh, what kind of ocean? Now, the was in the immaterial ocean. It was minus on this, but it's found on a ship. What ship? This ship. What ship? What ship? I told you, you don't say nothing in the story. I do the whole story by myself. You're telling it, but I... Well, you keep opening your mouth. Now, keep a shot. I only asked you what kind of a ship. A ship, a plain everyday ship that swims in the water. You mean a swim ship? Yeah. Now, the whale was following a swim ship because... Who ever heard of a swim ship? I don't know, Lou. That's your story. Please, keep your mouth away, please. All right, go ahead. You're getting me aggravated now. Take it easy, take it easy. Go ahead. Now, the ship was following the whale. What? Because now I got the ship following the, the whale. whale was following the, ship. the whale was following the ship because the whale was hungry. Actually. Now, Captain Jonah was the captain of the boat. He didn't want the whale to capsize the boat. What? He didn't want the whale to capsize the boat. Capsize. So he, he didn't want the whale to capsize the boat. Capsize. So he... Because he, you know what capsize means. I don't put in big words like that if I don't know what it means. Plus, I don't know what it means. He didn't want the whale what to cap- mean? capsize. Capsize. That's a big word. Well, what does it mean? Well, what does it mean? Capsize. Capsize. Story should know. Well, what does it mean? Get it over with. Capsize. Capsize. Like seven and a quarter. All right. right. So he didn't want the whale of six or seven eighths the boat. Yeah. So whatever, he, he Captain Jonah was a brave man, so he threw the, he threw the whale over a barrel of apples. What kind of apples? And, and just as soon as he, he, he... What kind of apples? I guess you're not tend to about me. Well, what kind of apples? What's so harmful about that? Plain, everyday apples. Well, apples that grow out of trees. Well, there's all kinds of apples, Lou. There's Baldwin apples, there's frost apples. Crab and... apples! Well, tell the people. He's got me mad at you, oh, folks. Take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. Come on now, get it over with. 
so the whale ate the apples. Yeah, he ate the now, Captain Jonah realized that the whale was still going to capsize the boat. Don't ask me again about that thing. All right. So when he, when the whale ate the apples, he was still hungry. So then Captain Jonah threw him over a stool. What kind of stool? Who said that? Me, in case you asked. A gorgeous three-legged camp stool. So the whale ate the stool. Now, the whale ate the apples and the whale ate the stool. And the whale was still hungry. In other words, his appetite had not been appeased. And that's a pretty good word, too. All right, too. Well, go ahead. Let's hear the finish list. So Captain Jonah, being a very brave man, he didn't want the whale to capsize the boat, and he wanted to save all the passengers mm -hmm. on the boat. So what did he do? I don't know. I'm going to tell you what he Just did. Keep quiet. Go ahead. He sacrificed himself. Yeah. He threw a beautiful jackknife dive right off the boat into the mouth of the whale. Mm -hmm. Now the whale opened up his mouth, and he swallowed Captain Jonah. He swallowed the apples, and he uh, swallowed the stool, and then the whale swam wait, away. Wait a minute, Lou. Three years later, yeah. they caught that very Lock same whale down here in the just, bay. Just a minute. And they cut him open. Wait, wait a minute, Lou. And what do you think they found? Wait a minute, just one minute. One more interruption. Now, he says something here, then I tell wait you the funny answer. One more interruption. <laughs> uh, Lou, you're not coming out here in front of this intelligent audience. Millions and millions of people listening and watching. You're not coming out and trying to get away with that old wheeze, that old pun about the time they, they caught the whale and they cut him open and there they found Jonah seated on that stool selling those apples three for a nickel, are you? That's not the story you intended to come out here and open up the show with. Now, wait a minute. Folks, I'm really sorry. I want to apologize. It couldn't be that story. Because every little schoolboy knows that story. That's right. He said it was brand new. No one had ever heard about it. And... But I'm sorry. I apologize. Now, you go ahead and tell the folks what they found when they cut the wheel open. I say tell the folks what they found when they cut the wheel open. You, you do know the answer. Hmm? You good? You know, I, I, I thought it was a build-up to that old wheeze, but it couldn't be that because every little schoolboy knows that joke. <laughs> found Jonas in the stool. I, Lou, 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 come in there now. We're not finished. I want you to tell the folks. The story of Jonah is one of those stories most people know and yet don't know. Did you know that nowhere in the actual story is the word whale? What is even more important is not the account of a man being swallowed by a great fish, but the grace that God shows to the wicked people of Nineveh. That task of sharing God's grace was given to Jonah. But he was not too thankful to have that job. In a few days, we will be celebrating Thanksgiving. It is a time of the year when our thoughts shift and change like the autumn leaves. Now, the holidays and all the activities associated with them loom large. Hopefully, in the midst of the activity, we might even pause for a moment to recall the enduring symbol of Thanksgiving in America. Of course, I'm speaking of the pilgrim experience. If you have not already thought of that gathering of religious Puritans sharing a communal meal and giving thanks to God, then allow me to invite you to visualize that moment. In order to fully appreciate that scene, we must acknowledge, we must be aware that their moment of thanksgiving followed intense hardship, including hunger, disease, and death. It was their desire and decision to be a thankful people, thankful to God for his faithful providence in the journey of their lives. 
Their prayers of thanksgiving reflected their hearts touched by grace, connecting them with God and one another. In the Bible, we have recorded the story of one man who, like the American pilgrims, took a journey, endured some harsh circumstances, and prayed as well. His name was Jonah. Listen closely, and I will try my best to tell the story accurately. As the curtain divides, we find Jonah in the belly of a great fish. He felt just as if he had stuck his head into a bucket of seafood. Jonah was in a place where the stench, the darkness, and the silence were absolute. But worst, worst of all, Jonah was completely aware. Because he could think, because he could remember, because of all of that, he was in agony. It was what the ancient Hebrews called Sheol and what we call hell. And it was hell for Jonah. He wished he could die and escape to nothingness. He longed for his misery to end, but all he could do was remember. He thought of a day not so long before. What a happy day! Everyone was celebrating no one more than Jonah. It was the day the religious community of which he was a part acknowledged God's call on Jonah's life. They could see it, and Jonah could feel it. Jonah rejoiced because God was going to use him to proclaim the word of the Lord. It was a reason for celebration. Surely, Jonah's call would be a great gift to his people. Jonah was thrilled. Jonah was committed to the task. And then his world fell apart. God spoke to Jonah. It wasn't so much that God spoke to him, it was what God said when he spoke to him. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah wanted to be a prophet on his own terms, in his own way, to his own people. He didn't want to preach to the Ninevites. Nineveh was far from home. Nineveh was the enemy of his people. Nineveh was unclean. Nineveh deserved the wrath of God. Jonah had a problem. He wouldn't go to Nineveh. He must have pondered, suppose they hear me out. What if they respond? What if they repent? What if their destruction is averted? So Jonah ran. He ran just as far and fast as he could. He had to get away from the call of God. He would do anything to avoid what God was asking him to do. Jonah found a ship that would take him far away to a place where even God couldn't find him. But God is not so easily outrun. The ship was manned by rough sailors. None of them worshipped the Jewish God, Yahweh God, each of them carried some idol, some tiny trinket of some tiny god. When a storm blew up, a storm so bad that they could not save the ship from floundering, they turned to their assortment of impotent deities and pleaded for their lives. And Jonah went below the main deck, laid down, and prepared to die. And then the Bible says he fell asleep. Suddenly he was awakened. The skipper of the ship yanked him from his slumber and demanded that Jonah appeal to whatever god he worshipped. Perhaps Jonah's god would save them all, the captain reasoned. 
But Jonah didn't care for the ship and he didn't care for the men. They weren't his kind of people. He did not appeal to God to save them. In increasing desperation, the crew threw dice. The numbers indicated that Jonah was the one. He was the one who had caused this freak storm to overtake the vessel. Still, Jonah wouldn't pray. Instead, he offered a solution. He did not propose such a dire remedy because he felt compassion on the frightened men. Jonah was running from the call of God, and he was ready to even die to avoid it. So he told them, throw me into the water. Even so, these pagan sailors who Jonah thought so little of were reluctant to remove him from their midst. Instead, the Bible records, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. At last, in utter despair, they, the unwashed heathen sailors, they, they prayed to God, and they did what Jonah told them they must do, and when they did, the storm ceased, and those sailors became the first converts of Jonah's journey. It says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, and they lived. But so too did Jonah. What is it like to be thrown into the raging sea and not drowned? Ask Jonah. What is it like to be inside the guts of a whale or shark and wait to be digested all the while aware of what is happening? Ask Jonah. Wouldn't those experiences drive you to prayer? Wouldn't you reach out to God for deliverance? Not Jonah. Not for one day. Not for two days. Not for three days. Finally, on the night of the third day, the runaway prophet had had enough. The sailors wouldn't kill him. The sea couldn't kill him. And the fish didn't consume him. And so at last, at long last, Jonah prayed. In his prayer, he hopes to go home to see the temple of the living Lord once again. There is even a note of thanksgiving in Jonah's prayer when he prays, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Yet the prayer is incomplete until Jonah prays, What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is then his situation begins to improve. In those dramatic words, Jonah agrees to finish the job. And then at last, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Oddly enough, God had not changed his mind about what he wanted Jonah to do. And so Jonah trudged onward until he reached hated Nineveh and he preached. And they were convinced of their sin, and they repented, and they were saved. Now look at what it says in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, starting in verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But... It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a generous God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh my, Jonah is a most unthankful man. He was asked by God to offer his mercy as a gift of grace, but Jonah could not. In his extreme desire to be holy and pure and undefiled by the unchosen people, Jonah has missed the point. In the end, Jonah is unhappy and miserable. He even calls God a bleeding heart chump and asks him to just kill him. But God doesn't. Jonah had something right. God is a God of grace. When the book ends, we are left pondering if Jonah will ever get the point. Can he? Will he participate in grace? God has not changed. From the earliest days, he revealed his nature. He revealed himself to Moses by describing himself as a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Yet somewhere along the way, Jonah's people had amended that. God's love, his grace, was limited only to them. They were chosen. And they were chosen, but not to be the sole recipient of God's love. They were chosen to be the vessel by which God's grace would be poured out for all people. The chosen people must carry the message of God's grace to the world. At the end of the book of Jonah, Israel was left to ponder her role in the kingdom of God. And what about us, you and me? Do we have our Ninevehs? Are there places we are not ready to go? Wouldn't we rather keep our houses of worship undefiled by the pollution of the unwashed? Are we ready to be givers of the gospel of grace even to those with whom we have problems? Or might this thanksgiving we hear from our Savior, thanks for giving my love away. How can we recognize the Ninevites among us? Perhaps it is in the differences we can see. Their skin is a different color or their clothing isn't like ours. Maybe it is too shabby or maybe it is too good. The Ninevites live in mobile homes dilapidated shacks, and brick houses on the golf course. Maybe we can pick out the Ninevites by what we hear. They're talking about NASCAR, and they're talking about the stock market. Their speech is honest and earthy, and their speech is refined and lofty. In Nineveh, they often speak about God, and they even speak to God, but we might not understand their language, and even if we do understand, we may not like their words. Possibly we can spot the Ninevites by what they think, what they feel. They are ignorant and they are educated. They are the at-risk children and the college-bound senior riding his jet ski on the lake. They are the struggling single mother and the harried soccer mom. The Ninevites are the ones afraid of human touch and they are the ones scorched by unbridled sex. They are the ones who have a hollow pride and they are the ones with hidden shame. We don't have to take a journey to get to Nineveh. We are already here. Oh, I know we say we want them to come to us, but are we willing to go to them? 
Are we willing to bring them into the fold with their unmannered and uncultured ways? Aren't we afraid they might change our comfortable, predictable Christianity? Yet, God keeps calling, urging us on toward Nineveh, urging us onward, asking us to be givers of His grace. But then there is also something waiting for us at Nineveh. It is grace. God gave us His grace so that it might flow through us. We can't hang on to it. It must spring forth like a stream. In reality, we cannot experience grace in a building that stands off limits to the sinful. Our churches must not be ponds of exceptional culture, but rivers flowing in a thousand directions through a land dying of thirst. That is a picture of grace. We must go into Nineveh, and there we will know His grace. And thanksgiving is our first and continual response to His grace as we all sing together, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it really is all about grace. It is the word sung. It goes like this. Share His love by telling what the Lord has done for you. Share His love by sharing of your faith. And show the world that Jesus Christ is real to you every moment, every day. Let us pray. Lord, stop our foolish running. Turn us toward Nineveh and give us the courage to go there so that we may find your grace. And Lord, may we hear you say to our hearts, thanks for giving. Amen. Our time of Bible study today will consider the 100th Psalm. If you have a copy of the free Nurturing Faith Journal we offer, turn to page 28. If you do not have this excellent Bible study guide, drop by the church or give me a line or drop me a line and get your free copy. Now let's hear our pastor of spiritual formation, the Reverend Marsha McQueen, as she teaches the scripture lesson for today. Good morning. As you know, it is the Sunday of Thanksgiving week. It's only natural to spend time giving thanks for what God has done in our lives this past year. Many might find it hard to feel very thankful. This has been a long, difficult, and very different year for a variety of reasons, many of which remain unresolved. The COVID-19 pandemic, economic recession, social injustice, racial inequity, growing national debt, political polarization. Some days it seems that chaos reigns. Our families may not be able to gather for Thanksgiving celebrations. With all those problems, can we still be thankful? God has been with us and God has provided along the way. I invited Facebook friends to complete the following prayer. God, we give you thanks for, and about 12 hours of responses included the following. The birth of our grandson, always being with us, your gifts as the creator that provide calming beauty around us your presence in our lives every day, safety, peace, and technology to connect with friends and family, health and family, and first of all, God's grace, the beauty of this earth, 
our faith in a better tomorrow, your grace and mercy, salvation, the privilege of slowing down and the opportunity to reflect on what is really important that this year has given us, your provisions and your sustenance, our shelter in the midst of this storm, school teachers who have risen to the challenges of teaching online during the pandemic, and several other statements about technology, technology that allows connection even when we're distanced. My dear friend, and this person named that friend, to our matchless king, you are our champion during the time of COVID. And they continue, God, we thank you for your love that you bless us with daily, everything. Your grace and mercy on me to be able to take care of my husband, breath and heartbeats, birds that continue to sing and flowers that continue to bloom for always being with me even when I don't deserve it. For you, God, for hearing our prayers. Several related to family and friends, my family and your blessings on us, keeping me as well as my family and friends safe from COVID, long lasting friendships, family and dear friends whom I treasure all the more because I can't be with them this year. Reading those blesses me. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Making the effort to turn from trouble to thanksgiving can be a worthwhile exercise. And our text for today, Psalm 100, is perfect for that. This poem makes deep and meaningful claims about who God is, who humans are, and how the two relate. The song, Psalm 100, calls us to be thankful that God is, that God has created us, and that God has called us into relationship. Whether we personally have weathered this year relatively unaffected, or whether we've been scarred by illness, unemployment, or other stressful events, Psalm 100 can speak to us. It was written for people on both ends of that spectrum and all in between. It was written for every person who believes and even for those who do not believe. It is a joyful invitation for all people on earth to celebrate God and to celebrate God's goodness. This song is only five verses long and it falls naturally into two parts. Each part has a call to praise, followed by a reason for worship. The first three verses call us to celebrate the belief that the Lord is God. The last two verses call us to celebrate that the Lord God is good. If we can remember no more than that, that God is God and God is good, then we understand the main point of this psalm. I remember back in the day when we were a more homogeneous society, 
memorizing this psalm in Mrs. Welburn's first grade class. Of course, we learned it in the King James Version, from which I read it now. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. In verses 1 through 3, celebrate that the Lord is God. There's an invitation that might have been spoken by a worship leader in the temple courts. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. No word that actually means joyful is in that text. The Hebrew literally reads, shout to Yahweh, all the earth. In the setting of worship and praise of the Lord, one would expect such shouts to be joyful. The phrase, all the earth, implies that the call to worship Yahweh is universal. What type of joyful noise might the poet have had in mind? The psalm as a whole is clearly a hymn of praise, and it appears to be associated with the worshiper's entrance into the temple courts. In our day, more formal churches may play or sing an, an introit while worship leaders enter the sanctuary, often to the musical shout of an organ. So this psalm might have served as a brief call to worship, inviting worshipers who were gathered outside to come forward into the temple courts. Most of us European American Baptists rarely shout in church. However, many ethnic congregations and churches with Pentecostal leanings anticipate joyful shouts from the congregation. Amen and hallelujah and preach it and help him, Jesus. Culture plays a large role in influencing our style of worship. Is actual shouting necessary according to Psalm 100? Perhaps not. But what do we need in our worship? When it comes to praising God in church, it's not the volume that counts, but the attitude. Shouting joyfully is just the first of three responses that the psalmist calls for. In gathering for worship, we're not only to make a joyful noise, but to worship the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. Shout, worship, and come are imperative verbs. They are, the, they are what the psalmist calls forth. From the worshipers. There was no role for silent participants at the temple. All were called to worship and to sing. But imagine if a songwriter were to pen something similar to Psalm 100 today, what sort of tune would she use? Take a few moments to think about your preferred 
worship music. What are some examples of happy, joyous music? Our lesson writer says he likes the thought of setting Psalm 100 to a joyful Caribbean beat with kettle drums, something that makes our hearts want to join in and maybe even our bodies to move. Take a moment to listen to him. This is Dr. Tony Cartledge. I once tried to imagine what kind of tune this psalm would have if someone wrote it today, and I am absolutely convinced it would sound like a rollicking Caribbean song with kettle drums in the background. Now, I want to show you what I mean, so sit back. Turn down the volume if you need to. I don't have any background music, but I discovered that if you tweak the words just a little to make some rhyme, Imagine Psalm 100 coming across something like this. Praise the Lord in His holy temple. Make a joyful noise and sing. We will worship our God with gladness. Praise the Lord for everything. La, 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 la. Know ye that the Lord is God now. God has made us and is our king. We are like sheep in God's pasture. What a blessed joy to sing. La, 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 la. So come on in with great thanksgiving. Come into God's courts with praise. Lift your hallelujahs up now. Bless God's precious holy name. La, 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 la. For you know the Lord is God now, showing love that will not end. God is faithful and eternal, always here to be our friend. La, 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 la. Psalm 100 calls us to praise the Lord and to do so with joy. Now, the important question is why? And the first answer is this, because the one we praise is God. Verse 3 calls worshipers to know that the Lord is God. In Hebrew, the word we translate as know implies personal, intimate knowledge that comes through experience. That is where worship begins. The psalmist doesn't challenge us simply to know about God, but to know God. Why do we worship Yahweh, the Lord? Elementary, the psalmist might say, because the Lord is God. There really is a God, and we know God's name, and we know that Yahweh cares for us in a special way. We owe our being to God. Verse 3 declares, It is he that hath made us, and we are his. As we read in many other references in Scripture, as God's people, we're like sheep in God's pasture. It tell, This text tells us who we are, from whence we came, and where we belong. We came from God who created us, and we belong in God's fields, where the one who made us 
also cares for us. The latter part of Psalm 100 calls us to celebrate that the Lord is good. We can now envision the worship leader having opened the service with an initial burst of jubilation, inviting the people to come forward to the temple's inner courtyard. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. In addition to the three directives already given in the first verses, shout, worship, and come, here we have three more directions. Enter, give thanks, and bless. The psalmist understood the human need to acknowledge the Creator and to respond with thanksgiving and praise. Again, we are told why we should offer such praise. Because Yahweh is not only God, but God is good. For the Lord is good, verse 5 says, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. God's goodness is shown in a faithful love for His people. The word translated steadfast love comes from a root word meaning to be kind or good. It's commonly translated with words like kindness, loving kindness, mercy. As a divine attribute, it also has the connotation of a commitment to covenant promises, as we know that God has with his people. So, it, it therefore leads to the frequent translation as steadfast love. In choosing this term steadfast love and combining it with faithfulness, the psalmist is insisting that God's love is not shallow or changeable, but it is a deep and an abiding love, an eternal love. Believing this, those who trust in God need never feel alone. God's love is dependable and sure. What are some of the ways we see evidence of God's creative power and enduring love? Consider making your own list of things that make you happy or that delight you. What are some of the things, large or small, that give you cause for thanking God. Right now, some people may feel more in tune with trouble than with accomplishment or comfort or happiness. For many, this poet's happy praise may ring hollow. But like Israel in exile, we may wonder how we can sing Yahweh's praise while in a strange time. Yet the poet behind that comment, found the faith and hope to persevere. Psalm 100 then may actually speak most clearly to those whose lives are hard. For in dark days, the assurance of God's loyal love is particularly welcome and needed. When life seems fragile and our friendships may be fickle, 
It's a comfort to be reminded that the Lord we worship is a God who wants to be known. Our dark days might call us to be more on the lookout for God's loyal love. With the psalmist, we can declare that the Lord we worship is not just truly God, but God who is truly good. The writer of our teaching resources encourages us to read Psalm 100 each morning this week and take a moment each day to thank God for something good from God and include your thanksgiving as a part of your daily prayer. May we pray. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. Loving God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. And we thank you, Marcia, for teaching us this wonderful psalm this week. The Nothing But Grace newsletter is out. If you would like to get a copy and do not now receive one, please let us know your name and address, and we will be honored to add you to our mailing list. I'd like to also ask that if you're in the Madison area and you can stop by the church during the morning hours of Monday through Thursday morning, we have two blue bins that are collecting donations of canned goods and uh, supplies for the homeless. And if you will come by the church in the morning, right inside the church office door, which is located directly across the street from the Dollar General Store in Madison. Be sure and remember in your prayers this week, Barry and Nancy, Dick and Evelyn, Norma and Ed, and Dinah. And I thank God for all who have been praying so faithfully for me. God has used in a special way, Marcia and Jan, Sylvia and Jane to minister to me. And there are so many from the church who have helped me in amazing and tangible ways in the days since the death of my beloved Dawn. I thank God for his blessings to me that you have brought to me. And I love you all. I hope your Thanksgiving will be a sweet reminder that God is with us always. To all my fellow Christ followers, thank you for tuning in to this worship and study time each Sunday. I would also like to thank all of you who have been so generous in your financial support in this difficult and challenging time we are passing through. We are going to get through. I hope that this time of worship and Bible study will continue to inspire you each week. It is my sincere hope that through this weekly broadcast, you will find renewal for your soul and a stronger relationship with God. Sometimes I know people who are listening would like to demonstrate their support, and I thank you for that. I love hearing from you and knowing of your prayers. Another way you might affirm this ministry is through a financial donation. It's possible now through the advancements of technology and easy to do. 
You can, of course, use traditional mail to send in a donation. In just a moment, I will give you the mailing address. But now, you can donate and donate safely through our website, which is at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Just go to this website and scroll down to where it says Donate Online. Please pray for us, and if God so directs you, give to help this broadcast continue. I also want everyone to know you may listen anytime to this broadcast or recommend it to a friend by going to our website. Again, that is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Now, to write to us, please address your correspondence to First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 209, Madison, North Carolina, 27025. Write to me and let me know your prayer request. Send an email to cpmcgathy, cpmcgathy, at yahoo.com. And please note in the subject line that you are a radio listener or call if you like and leave a message at 336-548-6112. May God bring you comfort and love and mercy. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy, and I mean it when I remind each week, in the end, no matter what comes your way, there's nothing but grace. We will conclude our broadcast with Jamie Slocum's Grace Changes Everything. Yeah.